When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Low Tallest, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, and then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead, download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. He's been shot six times. Halloweenies. He's been burned alive. Halloweenies. He's lost his head. Halloweenies. Michael Myers can't and won't be stopped, which is why he returns this October. In anticipation, the Consequence Podcast Network presents Halloweenies, a limited series that carves out one Halloween movie a month, leading all the way up to the October 19th release of David Gordon Green and Danny McBride's new movie. You'll get tricks. You'll get treats. You'll get Michael. Tune in for the night we came home. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith With. It's an audio interview series presented by WFPK Independent Louisville, Consequence of Sounds, and the Consequence Podcast Network. Wherever you're listening from today, I would love it if you hit the subscribe button right now. If you can give a rating and leave a review, that would be amazing as well. I'm Kyle Meredith. Today, my guest is the band Urge Overkill. We're celebrating the 25th anniversary of their Saturation LP. And I'll be talking with uh, Nash Cato and the King all about the ins and outs of that, uh, of that LP and the time period, everything that was happening around then. Uh, especially, by the way, uh, around that time, they opened up for Nirvana's Nevermind Tour and Pearl Jam's Versus Tour. Some good stories that come out of that that we discuss, their inclusion on the No Alternative compilation, and when we might expect new music from the band. It's Kyle Meredith with Urge Overkill. This is King from Urge Overkill and Nash, right? Yeah. Hi, guys. How are you? This is Kyle. It's great to talk with you all. Thanks for giving me the call today. Yeah. Kind of jump in the old time machine for a little bit. <laughs> it's only been 25 years. Right? <laughs> it's only been 25 years. But, you know, what an anniversary for such an important and, and great record like Saturation. I, I mean, I, I think this has been on your all's mind for uh, uh, this year. What was the exact date? What was the, what was the month? Because it just happened like a week ago, right? 
June or something? I think it was, yeah, I think it was springtime. I'm not sure of the exact date, June 19th or something. Well, happy. I remember there was a, yeah, there was a huge party on the top of one of the uh, buildings over by the metro down the street after the show. Nash, you remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know what, what what the place was, is now, but it's still there. But it was the top floor of some bar, and it was uh, after the show. Uh, but so it was—I remember it was early summer. June eighth was the time, was the actual date. Let's get back in in that era and everything, because you know, at that point, saturation—that was your major label debut. Which, as I look back, there seemed to be a lot of attention, really, on that specifically too. I mean, you guys had been part of the indie scene for a long time, and that was in the era where it was like, oh, no, one of our bands is being signed to the majors. Did, did you guys feel any of the pushback that it looks like at least critically was there? Yeah, I mean, you, you know, you're, of course, uh, there was, you know, there was that rumble of sellout and all that. But and we, we had done our time in the trenches and, you know, on Touch and Go. And, you know, we put out like five, five or six records. So we were ready to make that jump. And it, I don't think we really, do you recall looking in the rearview mirror that, that much? <laughs> Ed, I don't. I, you yeah, know, I, I just it was. It seemed like a, a logical evolution to you know the uh, you know the the, the the path we were on at the time. It, it was one of those things where it's more imagined. You know, mm-hmm. no, nobody will yeah. go will say to your face, "Oh, you guys sure were stupid to uh, <laughs> sign that huge to a huge major." record deal and now you have this you know do the real sort of document yeah you have well yeah it's, it's uh so there was some imagined criticism there i guess but at the time you know we we had done our homework and it was a legitimately a group of people working on the record who really who liked it and who, who yeah. you know we, we had a pretty good relationship before we didn't have a lot of complaints really about the, the label or anything at that time it was it was a time oh, when it was, it was a, and i can't speak for every everybody has a different uh trip through the music business that's for sure they were the best label at the time there's no doubt and it was a great team, people, highly creative, you know, smart people. And they all, they put all their, you know, they put everything they had behind this record. You know. I mean, it's and, and obviously it was the right choice to make, as we can now see historically. The sound, though, was also a thing. Like, it was, you know, the jump to the major, but it was also almost like a jump to the major label sound. And I don't mean that in a way that that could have meant in the past, too. It was just a bigger sound that you, you guys made. Was that part of it? Did you say, okay, this is a bigger thing, let's go for the bigger sound? Like, what brought you go, brought you all to that to that kind of sonic destination? Yeah, we did use the time to sort of get things to... Really hone. We were very happy, so we weren't hurrying. The idea of... Uh, not be not having to hurry, you know. There's there's a nice uh, balance between having. At no point in saturation did we really think, oh, we could be here for years. Isn't this great? We still had, you know, a mission in in mind, and we're cruising along as fast as we as we needed to, but sort of no faster. And that was a real yeah. luxury at the time. Yeah, and the, you know, all our all our previous recordings you know they they were more or less demos because you know we'd have like you know it, you know the, the label you know had limited funds like you know here's here's three or four a couple three four stacks go make a record within a week so they're you know they're pretty much 
you know, all, all those recordings, I mean, they, you know, the, there's some gems in, in there, but, but they were, for the most part, we didn't realize this till later, they were kind of like demos of songs, you know, because there was no time to, to, to polish or, or work out or, you know, um, or, you know the, the material. You just had, had time to record it, and, you know, you just hoped for the best. You know, when all of a sudden we were found ourselves in a situation where, you know, we had sort of unlimited resources. We were able to, you know, really hone the finished product. We, we didn't really know what a demo was um, until the label said, well, you know, we, we want to hear some demos. And we were like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and... Uh, but when we but that but we demoed like half the record. Half of it was still just sort of like loose ideas. But we demoed about half of it, maybe a little more. And we realized, listen to it, there were decent demos, but like, wow, this sounds just like all our other record our records on touch and go. So, you know, having that that, that liberty to you know, to to, to, to you know, to, to first demo and then, you know, you know, hone the, the finished product. Um, was was certainly new for us, um, and that's why it sounds like nothing we'd previously recorded because everything before that was technically a demo right. of, the, uh, of the final. I was listening to Ty Segal uh, talking on on something about demoing. They demo stuff too. It's a good uh, way to solidify. It just hasn't been something that we had done prior to that. I guess, speaks for itself, right? Well, and then, you know, so I'll, I'll jump ahead a little bit. You know, the album comes out, you know, and, and, and here's Sister Havana. And suddenly, well, I mean, you all had had several different styles that you were really great at, you know, even through those Touch and Go records. But, you know, because of that song, Pop Rock and Power Pox Pop was suddenly at a, at a peak. Uh, thanks to a song like that, you know, what Matthew Sweet happened to be doing at the same time. Did you ever feel like you were being pushed into a label that maybe you weren't exactly completely representative of? I don't, I don't know. It was don't really hard so. to, yeah, it was hard to say how people, you know, understood the band. But it, it's true, if anything, we, we, we definitely had been guilty of radical, you know, changes of personality on from from song to song rather as as well as from record to record. Uh so yeah, I think it's it's that's one thing that as urged that that ha- has always been uh I I guess we 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 we've gone uh, we had gone on in so many directions the stuff that we're known for or better known for is always just going to be sort of a random slice of the whole of like what urge was trying to be about but that that was kind of the nature of our of our pursuit was to not be but to you know not not be able to stay with one direction or pursue like one sound ultimately too long you know uh, we took a lot of we we took a lot of uh, left turn left turns and uh, reroutes I think but uh, I guess that's all that's all present on saturation as well mm-hmm. I mean mm-hmm. could you think find a weirder uh, sonic palette I think some of the you know the grit that you find that that just really can't be faked was some demo material from the basement at the bank, the urge subterranean lair where we got, I guess we, we recorded stalker. All that stuff is just straight from our demo and with some work from the butchers over the top, especially the vocals, but some of the, uh, some of the darker textures on, uh, saturation i guess were taken directly from the tapes where we were from we were messing around with our first sort of demo studio so some of the outtakes and some of the weirder stuff is was recorded at 
in Chicago here at the bank, I guess. Lou Blum Midway Studios. I'll bring up one of those tracks, too, and I was going to ask about a couple of the tracks on the record because speaking of different sounds, you know, you head down to a song like Dropout, which is one of my favorites on the record. The minimalism, you know, that, that happens in that song, uh, I guess in comparison to, you know, sounds that people might be more familiar with uh, for Urge Overkill. What's the story behind that song? I've, I've always kind of wanted to hear. That, I think, came from what happens when you can sort of be working with a producer, like somebody who kind of has their own thing that they're good at. Joe was kind of having fun with this sampler stuff, building, sort of building the sheets. And he, he, he kind of, this thing had, I think, you know, he had this idea for, for the, I guess it was just kind of throwing something at another idea that took place. You know, I can't remember the genesis of Dropout, but that was what? written in that was written in the studio, right? We didn't have any kind yeah. of plan to have that song, right? No. You know what I think what it was is that... That was a pretty spontaneous deal. Yeah. Well, I think what the, the situation, if I recall, um, you know... Uh, it, the king and i were were pretty busy you know we had to lay all the guitars and vocals and and we you know we we had a you know we had a full plate uh between ourselves and you know like most bands you know you get to you get the drum tracks down first and you just build up you know that foundation so you know uh black had a lot of free time on his hands and they they had two studios you know to, to, to name you know studio a and studio b so i mean certainly unbeknownst to me um I think, and I think you had some involvement in it, but I didn't really know what they were cooking up in Studio B. That was, you know, I mean, we, we were pretty busy nonstop in Studio A. So um, they were just, they kept, you know, tooling around. Joe, the butcher, he, he loved, uh, you know, he, they were one of the first to get it, you know, really get into loops and samples and things. So I think they, they just kept kind of tinkering with this project, this mystery project, that when it was, you know, uh, you know, in a sort of you know, semi-finished state, uh, I heard it, and I, I, I loved it. It was, you know, it was like nothing we'd ever done before, but, um, you know, there, there is something very seductive quality that song that just kind of pulls you in, I think, because of the minimalism, of, like yeah. you say, Kyle. But, uh, but yeah, so then I, I my only contribution was uh, I just kept hearing this, this, this stupid little melody. They had this old, I found this old dusty, like, 80s synth in their closet. <laughs> it had, like, an inch of dust on it. I was like, what does this thing do? So I plugged it in, and so I, I, I just laid down the, that's about all I did was I laid down, like, you know, the wang, 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 wang. You can hear me at, this, at the top of the track kind of figuring out how it works. They, they kept that that's, all in. That's you learning, figuring out what the actual notes are at the beginning. Right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then uh, there's no bass on it. I don't know if you noticed that, but mm-hmm. well, this was kind of clever. They, they, I don't know whose idea it was, but uh, had me sing super low you know i've got a pretty low register uh which i never really use with urge but um so i'm singing as low as i can just on the choruses and that served as bass they just kind of cranked it up so so there is a bottom to it it's just not a, an electric bass guitar it's a, wow. it's a vocal you know? but yeah i mean I, I was as surprised and you know pleasantly surprised as everyone you know, and this thing just emerged from studio b yeah. and uh yeah i mean it's a lot of t- I've heard it. We've heard a lot of people over the years say it's, you know, claim it's their favorite track. <laughs> we, 
even the king and I are looking at each other like, the drama? Really? The drama? <laughs> okay. I like it, too. Well, you know, with, with, of course, we need to hit on the classic with Sister Havana. Did, was there a point when you noticed that that was happening? Like, oh, I think we've actually got something here, and it's it's reaching it's reaching the masses in a way. Yeah, well, I mean, the first thing we had when we dropped our gear in Philly at Studio 4 was, we said, well, we, you know, what do you guys want to do? Uh, they had heard the demos. And, and, you know, like, I think the first thing we blurted out was because we knew we could, you know, like we never could before. We knew we were there for a few months. And we said, we want to sound like the radio. Make us sound like the radio, like radio friendly. You know, just cru- super crush everything. And just yes, because, it, you know, it's a, it's antithesis to everything we've done. We're kind of like, before. we're kind of like, we dare you. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, was, this, it was almost like a dare. It yeah. sound like, yeah, this, Put us on the radio. We dare you. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, and uh, you know, every almost everything with ours was always so it was done, usually had it. It was done with a smile and sort of as kind of a you know and a wink for sure. Because mm-hmm. th- those guys yeah. knew, a, a, even though they were at the time known for doing their hip hop and stuff, they didn't, and we didn't really realize this. They were absolute recording and Beatles classic recording technique freaks at the time and of course they had the yeah, board we, they had the board to prove it it was the, this neve board that looked like Neve's, a, yeah. it looked yeah. like a submarine you know he, he was i remember when they were showing off about their board he, he went he stood on the board he's like <laughs> oh. you can't destroy this board <laughs> phil was wearing his, his those dumb white tennis shoes he wore remember that he's like i could stand yeah. on the fucking board and i'm like what are you doing He's like standing on the knobs and the faders. He's like, you can't ruin this board. Yeah, you remember with, that with moment? The, with the, yeah, with the big, oven, yeah, with the big oven knobs, and you know, that, ha- um, that happened, right? Just a little, yeah, yeah. That? That, maybe we have, maybe we have a Polaroid of that. You might. Yeah, the thing was indestructible. The tank, but um, but yeah, you know, I mean, we, we, like most things, with those, they they all find their they're they're all rooted in some gag at the time, whatever. We, thought was kind of funny at the time and yeah so you know our like make us sound like classic rock radio it was you know it was sort of a dare but based on a gag like wouldn't it be funny if you know because we can and that's that you know like ed said we, we, we had no idea that they were so versed and and all you know they're both you know george martin beetle freaks and mm-hmm. they, they knew all the old tricks they had the old board to pull it off and so that's they, what they did they file that under you know careful what you wish for <laughs> <laughs> but they they knew all about like of course we had our own ideas and and did our own things but they knew a lot about how actual like a lot of background vocals were actually done and how you get it to work with everything else and things like that where they were as excited yeah. to try things out uh, with some like three part harmonies and whatnot that they were as excited as we were in terms of you know wanting to right. to sort of go down certain alleyways that maybe take a little longer that you would never tell a band a rock band to do right. usually producers are like move on boys and uh yeah so we didn't expect that i guess but, but certainly when there was time to leave it alone in terms of putting too much 
instrumentation on a record. I don't think saturation has that either. So in that they no, were or, helpful too. Or too, or too much gloss. I mean, to, to their credit, uh, the butchers were they were always adamant about maintaining what they what they dubbed the the urge charm, which we you know hated. But uh, the, the urge charm referred to all our you know rather squishy demoy previous recordings. We we wanted to just do something you know totally opposite of that. And but they they were always very careful to you know you know it became very addictive. Like let's make everything perfect and you know you know super sheeny and you know and sound like a million bucks. And they they were always step in every now and then stop us from you know over burnishing everything you know and saying you know that you got it this it's the earth's charm you know that's that's part of your appeal you can't erase all right. the earth's charm yeah. you know the slightly jangly or out of tune kind of things we got carried away we were we were we were this close to you know making like death leopards pyromania or <laughs> and that, that's true we were, that, I remember we were trying yeah. to like re-record stalker right. We're in there like, yeah, and you know we're pounding. Yeah, we could not like, reproduce it. Pounding yeah. our fucking heads, just like, uh, guys, you want to come in here? <laughs> and they play the demo, yeah. and then they play what we just did. Uh, it ain't working. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So thank God. But, I mean, they they, they get they they get full credit for you know the so-called urge charm, uh, yeah. maintaining the urge charm on the on the record. Well, so that happens, and you all end up on two of the biggest tours of the year. I mean. From what I read, you ended up on the Nevermind tour with Nirvana and the Versus tour with Pearl Jam, which, you know, and we're talking about, you know, the height of all of this stuff. What was that like to, to be in that kind of scene? Other than, I know on tour, most of the time, you're just in a green room, kind of oblivious to whatever's happening on the outside. But was there any sense that this thing was a behemoth all across the world, this, this whole uh, movement? It really was a, a crazy feeling because if you you had to be there to realize at least with with both of these experiences, I guess with with Nirvana, it was weird because we happened to be on a on the road with them as their record went from like maybe, like like maybe it'll be another Sonic Youth like that's the best everybody's biggest hope at Geffen was that you know maybe if this if this gets to be gets these guys on the level of Sonic Youth oh boy that would be great <laughs> and then this whole different thing happens which is like you know there's like little Metallica fans like getting into the shows and kids who are there they don't even know why they're at the show like you sort of see some of the why it's scary when you get huge overnight where all of a sudden there's this, these audiences yeah they were massive but the band are, are like saying who are these these aren't uh, like our people or you know yeah, they, who are they, these people they were we they were dumbfounders we were we, we just found cool. ourselves in the you know in the vortex of this you know this this, this you know i mean it's you know, it started in the States, did a couple of weeks of them in the States. You know, our first gig with them, we'd never met them before. I don't think we knew much about them. But, you know, they showed up in a van and a trailer. We showed up in a van and a trailer. And by the second or third show on the tour, these the, the shows were getting bumped up to these larger venues. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's just like being caught up in a whirlwind. It just always happens so fast. And, and you know, and all you could do is kind of hang on, you know, and enjoy the ride. And by the time we toured with them in Europe, you know, it had, they, they had knocked 
Michael Jackson out of the number one spot. You know, it just exploded globally. And they were, it, was, they yeah, were it was an odd place. Like it was like they were 20 times bigger than, like, the hugest you thought you could get when we left the tour with them in the U.S. Remember yeah. that, Paul? The record came out, yeah. and then they, they Remember, sort of thought that Come As You Are was going to be the big hit, the second song. Mm-hmm. But when Keen Spirit hit, I mean, they totally weren't ready for that to be like an international hit. No, so it was particularly Curry. Really, particularly, it was really not what he not what he signed up for. You know, when he picked right. up a guitar. Yeah. So that the whole world. And it, but it was the beginning of a time, I guess. Before that, you know, Michael Jackson was number one, and we were in a certain period of music. And by the time. You know, Nirvana really had hit big, which kind of changed. At simultaneously, Pearl Jam had been like when we ended up on tour with them, they sort of had been and were like the biggest band in, in like in terms of fan wise in the in the whole world. I think uh, you know it was really this time when you know rock bands never since then have never been held in that kind of esteem where it's like right. they were like the mightiest thing going and then there's a certain like confidence that you play with that when everybody is a hundred thousand percent behind you the band we were witness to actually some shows that really were fantastic because of you know how how much how on top of the world they were at the time i guess wouldn't you say that yeah. uh yeah but i mean it all happened so fast i mean you know for them and in terms for us i mean We'd never played to thousands of kids before. You know, we we, play, we rocked every you know punk rock shithole in the country. But <laughs> you know, uh, you know, so that, that it was a, a real crash course. And I think for them as well. You know, um, they, they they were on the same circuit we were for for years. And so yeah, it was a you know it was a, it was, a, it was a, certainly a learning experience. And yeah, just to get used to. You know, I, by the time we you know we with Pearl Jam. Uh, we never thought we'd be on a coach touring, but it was it was just logistically. I mean, we, we had no choice to keep up with them. We, you know, we, that's that's when we stepped on you know first first step onto a coach. Uh, if we, if we were going to tour, if we were going to tour with them, they said, yeah, well, it's not logistic. You, yeah, so that's that's yeah. how we kind of got into getting right. on but a that, bus. We, did, we usually didn't have. But it really is the way to go because you can sleep. You know, you don't have to wake up in the morning. So yeah, but, but that was even a, that was another crash course because those shows were even bigger. I mean, Nevada was as big, but we we weren't you right. Know, by no. the time they got to that size, we weren't with them. But it's I mean, like they were football. playing. You know, like it was football stadiums. Yeah, you, you hockey get, stadiums and shit. Yeah. yeah, and any and in Oklahoma, in anywheresville, Pearl Jam could play the biggest place around for miles. Right, no right. problem. Yeah. And it would have been the yeah. biggest thing, and it was the biggest thing that ever happened there. I mean, it was we saw yeah. really crazy stuff, and people were people were blowing out all the stops. Like the people in Oklahoma had lobster flowing in. Like they they had this really sort of touching way of showing Pearl Jam how much class they had in Oklahoma City. Yeah. <laughs> they flew out the wow. night. The biggest like lobsters you can get were like sitting there and somebody had obviously catered this like was really proud of this thing that they set out and the band you know could fucking care less what you know oak city has or what anybody has left for them you know what i'm saying they're they're on a whole nother trip so it was really kind of a a weird thing seeing uh shit you never thought you'd see (laughs) 
for, I, they were actually such really sort of just kind of jaded at the time and were sort of like, what the fuck? This was so, I mean, it, they, they were in the twilight zone too from mm-hmm. being so huge, mm-hmm. you know, right? There was some bizarre activity going on. I remember getting yeah. from the butthole surfers was, was around various other characters were hanging around. It was yeah. quite a scene. Right. But it was also uh, strange for us, both for the Rodham Pearl Jam, that here we had this record that, you know, that, you know, it certainly came with, you know, full potential for radio play and, you know, like I said, Geffen put all the big guns behind it. But, you know, no one has a crystal ball and both Nirvana and Pearl Jam hailing from Seattle, this this new grunge explosion that the media is on. You know, you couldn't find you couldn't uh, find a, a more antithetical album than Saturation. You know, the, to this grunge explosion. I mean, you know, they were all fans of the band, but you know, these kids, like like Ed said, you know, they, half of them don't even know why they're there. They just know they they have to be there. You know, so they're there and they're you know ripped up flannels and whatnot. You know, waiting for you know for this grunge explosion and we really did. Guys we didn't get much jumping around in in, in, vel- in velvet suits singing about cars and girls. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, they were as dumbfounded as we were, but you know, we we, you know, we held tough. I learned about a lot of great bands because of their opening acts. Like that, that was always a thing. Like I would look to see the opening acts, especially of of Pearl Jam uh, and, and Nirvana to a large point too. Um, to introduce me to things that I hadn't heard about, um, and and you know, Urge Overkill was definitely one of those. Uh, it, it was a it well, was a nice was way. The, well, that was the tradition, which kind of now that everybody is booked by the same people, and the you know, there's totally different deals going on with concerts. It used to be that the headlining band always got to do whatever the fuck they wanted to do with uh, choosing a. They could choose whoever they wanted to as an opener, as a statement of taste, and to help a band out that they wanted to mm-hmm. was a huge tradition in in our, you know, where we were coming up in the shows that we played. And that's, I guess, something that doesn't yeah. happen in the same way anymore, I guess. That was yeah. cool. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, yeah, the Kurt- band's... The bands really did get to make those decisions back in the day. Yeah, I mean, Kurt, Kurt was always pushing the Melvins and a lot of his favorite bands. That you know, he he, he was the first to pull them up and do what he could for them. And you know, and Pearl Jam. Remember, I, I, I like in Chicago, I they had we, that show. We, we opened for Pearl Jam, but uh, the first band was, was uh, I don't know if you remember a band called the Frogs. Oh yeah, oh, in yeah. Milwaukee. Yeah. But you yeah. know, I was like, that, that's so that's so program. They're like, you know, fuck it, we don't care. We love this band. That's how <laughs> I learned about them. On the yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's a, some of the fans yeah. were not as happy. Yeah, there's another track that came out around that time. Uh, it was on the No Alternative compilation, which to me, it, like, I'll still hear people talk about that. There was a couple compilations from that era that just became classic albums in themselves. Uh, you all um, submitted the song Take a Walk for that one. Do you remember much about that one? Because that sort of claimed its own classic status because of the record. You know, we, we wrapped up the saturation session, we, you know, went back to Chicago. And then that no alternative thing came up. And, you know, well, you know, I think we still had gear there, too, you know, so... So we just went, you know, we said, fuck it, we, let's just go back to Philly. You know, because we were, you know, we had a, you know, we were on a roll with this guy. You know, we had a good, you know, we knew them and they knew us. And so it was very easy for us to step on a plane and go back to Philly for, you know, I think it was like a, a, a 24-hour period. And we cranked that out. 
it was called View of the Rain, but uh, I guess the butcher, he didn't know that, and they, they needed a title when he sent it in, <laughs> so he put Take a Walk. But, uh, you know, the, the track turned out, you know, better than we thought. We, we thought, you know, when someone asked you to do a track for a compilation, we had just finished this record, so obviously we're not going to put anything on that, on you know, of that on the. So, you know, we, I, I don't, I don't remember recall the genesis of that tune, but uh, we didn't really you know, have, was, we didn't really have anything. But the thing was, is we had the studio. It was like this. We didn't do much, but kind of play the song that kind of had this. I mean, you can really hear that studio, the type of sound that you get from like their board and their tape saturation and things like that comes across I yeah. think on that song it, what is so cool I mean and then we were at liberty to get some string players which we hadn't done before which was just kind of right. a casual thing but that sort of added so much uh, I think yeah but it just all and remember it all did it's just on it. literally kind of wrote, it kind of wrote and arranged itself and we were we were in and out of there and yeah and, that was uh, like a quick weekend yeah. Right. Then we decided because people love it so much, so we decided to include it on the Saturation Power of the Exit Dragon with its proper title, View of the Rain. <laughs> so we'll wrap up here. Obviously, heading back to the present. I know it's been a couple years or a few years now, right? Since uh, since the last full length. Do, do you guys are, are you planning anything else? Do you want to do another another album at this point? You know, I see tour dates happening. So, are is there any uh, new musical creations that come along with that? Yeah, there's the the vault, as it were, always have some some interesting secrets. But we, yes, we are at the moment uh, ha- have had uh, plans for a release, which I don't want to say too much about at this time. But uh, so we've got new music. We're still playing, and uh, we're certainly, I guess, gonna we're gonna have some things coming up that go along with, even though we're not playing on the anniversary of the of the saturation record. The fact is the uh, the vinyl has been out of print because of the way Geffen has been bought and sold a few times since we were active on the label. Uh, but there is a license uh, that's... Nash, do you remember the name of the company, Plowshares Records? Uh, yeah, they licensed it, and so it's going to be available in the, in the vinyl, in the original color and everything like that awesome. very soon, the, the, the Saturation LP. Yeah, so that, that has right. just been... Uh, we were looking into licensing it ourselves, and a guy that, that we, we already know <laughs> had just got, you know, he had just done a deal to license it, so we're uh, looking forward yeah. to that. Awesome. And, and and we have we have a new album in the can. Just we just finished mixing and mastering it, so I don't know exactly when that'll drop, but um, it's 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 pretty much done. We kind of we're all scattered now about the country, so it's 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 not like the old days where we could just all you know live in the studio for a, a month or so. But but right. we you know, chipped away at it for the last couple of years. And Indeed, but we we always had a good time in in Louisville. Louisville was one of the first places we ever played. I ever toured out of town with. Well, that's awesome. We were on yeah. We were on we were on tour with Big Black. Their maybe first tour ever in a in a van. They used yeah. to fly to gigs, but do you remember that? Yeah, that was That's our I think our, our first our first road experiences. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, I don't know why it was Louisville and Lexington all around there, but but that's where the shows were, and a couple in Ohio, I think. But yeah, we always loved Louisville. 
yeah, hopefully we'll make it back to Louisville before uh, before too long. Yeah, we'd love to see you over and, here. Really would. Well, thanks for thanks for the uh, you know the knowledgeable questions about uh, saturation and all that. Uh, it was a pleasure to discuss it, and uh, you know, call, give us a call. And yeah, a record we recorded a million years ago. <laughs> Yet seems like yesterday. <laughs> Happy 25th anniversary to a classic, <laughs> to being part of something, an honest to goodness classic in the in the in the whole rock catalog. That's uh, it's not easy, and everybody doesn't get it, and that's definitely you know one that's stamped for history right there. Thanks, Thanks Kyle. All right, nice, it's Kyle. pleasure talking to you both. I really appreciate it, and we'll see you around. Thanks, Kyle. All right, Kyle. Thanks again, Kyle. Enjoy yeah. your weekend. You too. Take care. Bye. All right. Cheers. My thanks to Nash, Cato, and the King for that call right there, celebrating Urge Overkill's 25th anniversary of saturation. Don't forget, you can subscribe to Consequence of Sound's YouTube channel. That's where you're listening from right now. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Uh, If you're listening to the podcast version, uh, you can subscribe there as well. iTunes, Podchaser, go ahead and give a rating, uh, leave a review. I would be really, really grateful. Then you can head over to WFPK.org. That's where I do a show every Monday through Thursday from noon to 3 Eastern. You'll also find some bonus episodes of this uh, series over there as well. I'm Kyle Meredith, and I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.